Well, good, good Labor Day weekend Sunday morning, and I was thinking about it this morning. Shouldn't it really be called No Labor Day? Right? Nobody's working tomorrow. It's No Labor Day. How nice. I'm thinking. All right, maybe I'm not. I mean, I'm just a fool. So anyway, it's great to be with you guys this morning, and you know what? Here's what's really cool. Not only is it Labor Day weekend, but this week school gets back underway, which is so rad, and with that, think about this. This is a weird one. This will be the first time since 2019 that school starts normal. No masks, no unique rules. I mean, it's really pretty cool. And, and so I'm going to take a minute to pray for the school year, for the teachers, administrators, students, parents, everybody. But with that, I want to give you just a couple of quick reminders. Don't forget, it's a habit we have to kind of relearn. School buses, stop right? Uh, 20 miles an hour zone, slow down. Like those first week, week and a half, I know talking to bus drivers and teachers are like, man, we just all kind of forget. So we want to make sure we're kind of aware of that. It's a way that we can kind of love our community by just being kind of clairvoyant about those things getting underway. But it's exciting times for everybody involved. Very, very cool. And so I'm going to pray for the school year. Also want to remind you on the app, there is the $750,000 campaign we have going right now. I'll get into that more next week as far as some update stuff. But right now, we're at about 17% of the target we're seeking to hit. We've got four more weeks, so we really want to get behind this in a pretty aggressive way. Uh, things are happening behind the scenes. Again, like I said, next week, I'll give a little bit more detail of that. But uh, again, this is exciting times for us as a church, as well as exciting times for our students and our districts. And so right now, let's just go ahead and pray for this next year for everybody, and then we're going to get right to business. Jesus, I thank you so much for the fact that after a long long haul, life is slowly moving back to normal. And so uh, with that, I, I just thank you that this is a year that will be the first kind of normal start for many, many students and teachers. And I pray for a great year. I pray for teachers to have wisdom and compassion and a, a sense of just attentiveness to their students. Give them the endurance that they need to get through this entire year in a way that's effective and nourishing, not only for students, but for their own soul. I pray for our students as they are going back into just the rhythms. I know for some kids, this is exciting. I know for other kids, it can be kind of a challenge. And I pray for your peace over all of that. And I certainly pray for our districts and administrators uh, that have so many different things to do. I thank you for this district and how much they have been just a friend and an ally to us as a church. And uh, we are deeply grateful for all the ways that they have opened their house to us. And so I pray that you will bless this place, bless this house this year as they go about just rearing a new generation that will be effective in our world and hopefully in that just bring flourishing through their wisdom, their knowledge, and their abilities. And so all the way around, Jesus, we just pray for all of the different parties, for the parents, everybody, that this year is just a fantastic year. And we thank you for the grace that you give us to live life and live it well in your name. And so Jesus, we thank you this day and we praise you in your good name. Amen. All right, so we are in the final installment of our series, and if you want to take notes, we have an app, and in the app there are notes. Uh, hopefully these notes are functioning a little bit like a tool throughout this entire series of topics that we've hit, but today is the final one, and it's on apathy. And to be honest, this was the one I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm that interested. Um, 
No, I was very interested in apathy because here's the thing I know. Um, we all will have times where we struggle with apathy. And in those spaces, I know that it's hard to dig out of apathy. And so in that, I wanted to make sure that, you know, as we ended this, that we tried to throw a lot of stuff at the wall, see what sticks for you as an individual. And hopefully these can become these tools to help us dig out of this challenge that we all seem to face. Now, in dealing with the topic, I knew there was a number of ways I could approach this. I could kind of hit apathy in the most kind of exosphere kind of way, or I could deal with apathy in marriage, or apathy in relationships, or apathy in our health, or, you know, you could pick your poison. But I want to be really clear, today is tactical. I'm, I'm picking only one little pocket of apathy, but it's a pocket that I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus, and that is spiritual apathy. So that's where I'm camping. I'm really talking about that challenging area for all of us. And, and there's a couple of reasons for this. One is, you know, I, I've now been a pastor for 30 years, but I would say in the last like 15 years and up to now, I've been sort of this front row seat, or I've been in a front row seat, to see a change in the rhythms of Christianity. In fact, in that period of time, uh, what we've seen statistically is the number of churches in our country or culture, that's shrunk. And the number of people that are claiming Christianity is smaller than ever before within our context. In that, I remember like 15 years ago, we would say an average committed faithful attender they were here, you know, 48 out of 52 Sundays. That's just the way it worked. And they were signed up to help in kids' ministry, and they gave regularly, and they had all this engagement. But since that time, we talk a lot as pastors and church leaders about how, like, we now measure if you're here 26 Sundays out of 52, we go, that's a faithful attender. Now, some of you are like, sweet, I'm super faithful. That's true, right? But, but that's kind of like, hey, if we're getting you two out of four, we consider that now kind of faithful. If you serve once every couple of months, that's a little bit more the faithful range than what it was a couple of years ago. And so giving's the same way, just engagement overall. So, so we've seen this sort of this, this deterioration of engagement within the local church context. And that's true to every state, doesn't matter, red, blue, Bible Belt, us, we're the kind of the butt crack of the Bible Belt, I guess, up here. I don't know what we are in the Pacific Northwest. We're not the South, right? But it's like, no matter where you go, the, the rhythms are kind of similar. And then, I was thinking about it more, the last two to three years have definitely accelerated some of those challenges, right? Like COVID rolled in, and we, we all sort of became used to flexible schedules. And while the stay-at-home orders were kind of a drag and bugged us in one sense, and another way it was like, sweet, I don't have to go to work every day. And I can kind of pick my schedule as I want to build it. And if I'm on, I'm on. And if I'm off, I'm off. And I, I can just rearrange. And there was kind of this spiritual fallout as well, where I know for me, I, I, I kind of got out of some of the spiritual rhythms that I had and got a little wobbly. And so from that, I thought, man, this is something that's an important topic probably for all of us today to deal with because, again, in some ways, we're just in a context where things have been more relaxed, and it's time to get back into that space where things are a little bit more revitalized and, and kind of a sense of reforming comes to our spiritual growth and intentionality behind what it means to grow spiritually. Now, here's what I know in this. For some of us, this will be super easy. Right? You're like, man, I'm already there. I, I, I'm that person that just has that, that kind of, like, it's just always patterned and it's working right and I'm, I'm not struggling with apathy. But for others, this is a little harder. 
right? And even for some of us, it may mean that you're really gonna have to plant your foot into the turf and just take a hard hit to the right to get back on track because things have just gotten rusty over the course of time. In all of this, I just want you to know, man, I get it. I really understand how these things can happen, how tough it is. In fact, I was kind of laughing about this series. I almost want to tell you, wanted to wait till the end to tell you that this whole series has been like a journey through Matt's journal, right? Where it's like all of these different topics are things that I have had to traverse. And in that, it's like a really long TED talk every week, but, but it's like, hey, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've tried. Here's where I found successes in these things. And so the same is true with apathy. And yet, here's what I also know. This, like all the other topics, grief, hurt, doubt, all of it, this is an opportunity to level up. When you're in a space of apathy, if you can learn to kind of get over the apathy and re-engage into a new freshness of life, man, you're going to level up. You're going to get stronger and, and, and better in your walk with Jesus, and that's what this is all about. And so that's the heart of our time this morning. Now, the place I want to start is kind of high orbit, but I want to give us a sense of what we're dealing with. And it has to do with kind of the, the, the challenge of spiritual growth, right? Overall, not just apathy, but apathy is a topic that's inside a broader idea of spiritual growth. And a few years ago, I, I came up with this model related to spiritual growth, and it's like a cycle of spiritual growth. Uh, kind of behind the scenes, we call it the wheel, Right? But this is something about 15, 16 years ago, I was trying to figure out how do we as Christians seem to grow in a stereotypical way? And I realized we don't grow linear, we grow more cyclical. And so in the model that we have, it all starts with being kind of curious. This is before you're a follower of Jesus, but you go, hey, I, I, I'm interested in the Bible and Christianity. I've got Christian friends. I might start going to church. I want to start getting some information because I'm curious. But then curiosity shifts and you become a follower. And that first stage is an enthusiastic stage, right? And, and everything's great and it's fresh and it's new and it just, you're, you're moving. But then you move into this formative stage. And in the formative stage, this is where you really begin to uh, develop a, a sense of your doctrines. And you, maybe you're going to Bible studies more and you're connecting more and you're learning the language, the lingo of Christianity. When you're in the enthusiasm stage, more of your friends are kind of disbelievers, but in the formative stage, more of your friends become believers, right? So when you were in the enthusiastic stage, you were super jacked up, super excited, like, wow, did you know there's Christian music? Wow, did you know you can read the Bible and make sense of it? Wow, did you realize that church is cool? Like, that's all the enthusiasm stage. But it starts to slow in momentum as you go into this now formative stage where you're gathering more tools. And in one sense, you're kind of halfway to what it looks like to be really Christ-like in every sense of it. But in another way, you're still kind of far away from what full Christ-likeness is like. And weirdly, you're also pretty far away at times from the curious crowd. It's a place where the good of it is, hey man, you're growing. The danger of it is, it's in that space that we can kind of become judgmental, a little legalistic. We forget about being uh, on mission and sharing our faith, and it's just more about how we are in, in the kind of the, the bottom well of our Christian expression. This is where legalism and religion can happen, but at the same time, it's a place where development really occurs. Now, here's the thing about this, right? If, if you look at the wheel, then it's going to mean there, there, you have to start to move upward. And in the moving of the upward, this is where it can get a little more challenging. It takes work. 
And it's in this particular realm of the wheel that there's a different kind of danger, and it's this red line of apathy. In other words, the risk of apathy is not in the enthusiastic phase. It's not in the curious phase. It's going to be when you really start to kind of settle into your faith, you really have the long haul. That's where it's going to be the challenge, right? And, and, and it's understandable. But what's strange about it, almost paradoxically, is that's about the majority of your Christian life. Your Christian life is mostly lived in that space, right? Along that trajectory, and, and in that kind of place, that P-trap, if you will, of the growth cycle, right? Because that's kind of what it becomes at times. You have to be self-aware. You have to realize that just a part of what it means to be a Christian is that there's going to be times where you're really thriving and there's going to be times where you stall. And you're pushing up into that kind of customized stage where customized is you start to realize that the things that really grounded you, you've kind of graduated from, and now you're figuring out what makes you tick uniquely as an individual follower of Jesus, right? So for some people, it's like, man, you really thrive when it comes to worship and music, and others really thrive when it comes to studying doctrine. Others really thrive when it comes to more of a mystical approach to the Christian life and experience. But all of that has this, uh, this risk again of, Start, stall, start, stall, push, pull. It's just, it's a part of the equation that we battle with. That doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it fun. doesn't make it simple to deal with. But it's the reality that we all face. And so I think understanding that this is what we're dealing with and what we're up against helps us to go, hey, I'm not strange or weird. Because I think the assumption is, well, the more I grow as a Christian, the less I will struggle with apathy. I don't think that's accurate. I think the more we grow as a Christian, the more apt we are to have seasons where it feels like we're in the desert, where God feels a little distant, and where we have to find new rhythms and new ways to continue to grow, to thrive, and to develop. Now, before we move on to maybe ways to do that, I, I want to make sure we're, we're digging down a little bit before we dig out to go, okay, well, then, then how does this apathy occur? And what does apathy really mean? Because I think when we hear the word, we get locked into one idea. But I think there's more than one idea around apathy. And so uh, that we understand spiritual growth is just the cyclical thing. The more you go, the harder it gets. With that, we go, well, well how does it get harder? Why does it get harder? What are the triggers that make apathy more realistic. Well, to get into that, that's number two in your notes, defining the meaning and the roots of apathy. The meaning and the roots. Because again, like I just said, there's more than one way that it plays out. Now to give you a sense of the meaning, because I think everybody's like, oh, I know what it means. Well, here's, here's the simplest definition of apathy. It's two parts. A means no, and the other part is pathos, which is passion. No passion is the idea. And originally, here's something fascinating, it was a positive word. In other words, it was used in the realm of philosophy and logic and reason, and if you wanted to really execute reason in a way that was, that was really firm and focused, you wanted to be apathetic. You didn't want passion to drive your reason. So it was positive, but as words kind of evolved over the course of time, it became negative and it meant, hey, I don't have feeling anymore. I don't have any sense of drive. I don't have any sense of connectedness to what it is I believe. And as Christians, that's probably more what we experience. I just, I'm lacking something. 
And there's no one thing that triggers it. In fact, I would say in my world, as I was jotting things down this week, I realized that there's 10 different ways that we sometimes trigger this idea of apathy or it's the roots of apathy. And I'm calling this the 10 aloofments. I should say it like Charlton Heston. The 10 aloofments! And then I explained to everybody under 35 who Charlton Heston is. It's great. So, But I, it's kind of like the commandments. And I'm going to rifle through these really quick, but to show how they're kind of different and how apathy can spring out of these. So for example, that first one is disappointment there. And you can get in a space where you're disappointed with God or with other Christians or with the church. And from that, in that disappointment, you begin to just kind of shut down. Or maybe you don't feel that enthusiasm phase that was early on in your faith and it's gotten into the developmental and you feel a little stalled in that and you just don't have that sense of drive and so you're like, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed and so I'm not really driven. Maybe disappointment isn't going to be the problem, but it might be disorientation. Disorientation comes when early on things... And then down the road, you learn new things and you realize the new things you've learned are different than the old things you've learned and that can even throw you off. Like the church I trained in, I've shared before, very legalistic, lots of absolutes on things you shouldn't be absolute about. And as I was growing in that context, I was suddenly like, wait, you can look at the Bible this way and this way and we haven't cornered the market on truth. And, and so I started to get kind of disoriented in my context, but I was being told like, you're just wrong for thinking that way. There's only one way to think. And after a while, I'm like, man, I'm just shutting down. I just sort of became apathetic for a while because I'm like, I don't know what to do with the conflict that I'm in and therefore disorientation can drive it. Distraction, that's another one. Distraction is the one probably a lot of us are familiar with where your hobbies or your job or your life or your kids or your sports or your free time or your lack of free time, whatever it is, kind of gets in the way of you having a consistent, spiritual, healthy, vibrant life. It's not that those things are bad things or wrong things. They're just things that after a while they fill up your schedule or they kind of suck away a lot of your energy and you're like, I got nothing left to put into my spiritual stuff. And therefore from that, you get distracted and therefore you begin to feel apathy. There's also detachment. Detachment is the one I see when people say, you know what, I just need to take a break from church. I'm not walking away from my faith, Matt. I just need a break from church. We need more family time. We need more time off. We need just to be able to breathe for a couple of months and step away. I find almost inevitably when a person decides to do that or a family does that, in time, all the other things begin to suffer too. Because there's something about being together with other Christians and being reminded of what it is we're trying to accomplish for the sake of the world that kind of keeps us on point. And when we remove that, we begin to lose some traction. There's also dissatisfaction. See, dissatisfaction is when there were things that you used to do that really worked to grow you, and now they're not working. So in other words, maybe you had this favorite author or a series of authors, and then after a while, you're like, I've already read this, I've done this, I know this. In fact, this is work now. Or, or, or Christian music really could get you in a good space when you're in your car, but then after a while, you're like, no, nah, that's not doing it. Turn it off. Turn the channel. Find sports radio, whatever it is, you know? Like, the things that really kind of pumped you up are now not filling your bucket. Like, I know for me, there were writers 30 years ago that were completely a part of my formation that today, when I read them, just break my heart and deplete my desires. Right? 
because something changed. I grew. I went into this next stage, and with that, there are different challenges, but that's dissatisfaction. Step deeper from this is when some of us go into deconstruction, which is a familiar word if you're kind of listening to Christian stuff recently, where it's this process of saying, okay, I'm going to question my faith, I'm going to question the Bible, I'm going to question the doctrines of the traditions or the religion I was handed, and I'm not sure about what to think of all of that. In deconstruction, the risk there is instead of being a student, you become a critic. Instead of saying, I want to authentically, honestly explore what God is really saying, you go, it can't be this and it can't be that, and after a while, you just don't care and you blow it off, and that's going to lead to a type of apathy. There's also disengagement. And disengagement is different than taking a complete break from the church. Disengagement is saying, you know what? No, I'm still there, but I'm just pulling back from some of my responsibilities. I used to serve more, but now I serve less. I used to give more, but I don't give at all. I used to be engaged at this level, but I just, I just need, I, I'm, I'm burnt out and I need to step back. Now, I'm totally cool about, hey, sometimes we need to recoup after getting burnt out. Not criticizing that. But the risk there in that decision is you don't say, I'm burned out and I'm going to take a step back and replenish by having really solid spiritual kind of principles that are filling me up. But we just go, I unplugged from that even. And from that, we begin to struggle with apathy. That's disengagement. Another big one for people is just discouragement. And this one comes in two pretty dramatically different forms. One is just you're bummed, you're sad, you're struggling with depression, there's maybe some rough things happening in your life and you go, I just don't have the energy to put in to the things that help me grow and from that you begin to feel like you're draining spiritually, that's one. But the other form of discouragement that I think leads to apathy is people can get discouraged at other Christians, at the church, as far as they, they become a little judgmental of it, a little legalistic of it. And therefore, it's not that they don't have passion, they have the wrong passion. So uh, they're passionate in a legalistic sense or in a religious sense, in more of a judgmental sense. And that is a different kind of apathy because it's not the passion that God wants you to have. It's a passion of self-righteousness. And that also destroys the soul. Ask the Pharisees, right? So, so that is also a way it can happen. Then there's just drifting. Drifting is sin, poor decisions, things that you know are detrimental to your soul, right? All of that is the drifting thing that can lead to apathy. And then finally, there's times where you go, I don't have a clue, I'm just apathetic. I don't know why I'm in this space. It's just the desert, I feel dry. I just, I don't want to. It wasn't any of those other things, I'm just... My brain just went there. Again, like I said, I get all of it. And I think when we begin to sense any one of these things or any one of these things are beginning to contribute to that, that sense of just aloofness when it comes to our spiritual health, I think there the most important thing to do is to stop and admit it. Just say, all right, that's really the space I'm in. I know what I'm dealing with here. I'm just not that driven right now to care about what it means to grow. And, and I want to do it different. I want to acknowledge the problem and try to come up with a solution. Because again, this is an easy place to slip into. And as I was just alluding, it's an easy place to slip into in these two different ways. One is to say, I'm just kind of a little cold to my growth. The other is... I'm called to what it means to have a healthy expression of Christian tradition. In other words, apathy comes in two forms. In fact, to look at that, I want to look at a case study in two forms of apathy. 
right? Two different churches that kind of model this. And it happens again in that bottom layer, that formative space, right? Down there in the bottom of the wheel, that's where the bacteria of, of either kind of laziness or legalism breeds. It can happen down there. And so one form is what I call religious apathy. Believe it or not, you can have it. Because we see it in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's really interesting. If you have a red letter edition, here's what's cool. You'll notice a lot of red letters. Red letters are places in the Bible we, we demarcate to say, hey, this is where Jesus is talking. So when you read through the New Testament, there's lots of red letters for the first four pieces of literature, and then you don't see much red letters. And then you get to the very end, and you see two chapters filled with red letters. Why? Those are seven letters that Jesus is writing to seven churches. He's writing them through John, but it's red letters. He's talking. And the first church is the church of Ephesus. And he says to them, he says, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. You have discovered that they are liars, and you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. You read that description right there, and you're like, man, these guys are slaying it. This is a solid church, man. They have good doctrine. They have good deeds. What's the problem? Well, the problem is they're religiously apathetic. Verse 4, Jesus says, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. I'll tell you why I bring this up. I think it's very easy, especially in more conservative evangelical churches and contexts like ours, to say, hey, if we got good deeds, we got good doctrine, there's no way we're apathetic. But if apathy is no passion, and Jesus is looking at a church with good deeds and good doctrine, but no love, what he's saying is, that's an apathetic church. They have the wrong passion, or they have unhealthy passion, or they've lost the passion that's most important. And I've been in that space, man. I know this, where your apathy is cloaked in religiosity, so you think you're fine, but you're not really fine inside. And so the way we kind of look at that is we go, man, if my life and my person doesn't have a sense of ownership and desire for Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, which if you go and read it, man, it's a beautiful and tough definition. But if that's not me, or if the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 seems foreign, I don't have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, this wonderful list of things, then that maybe I'm struggling with a type of apathy where my passions are in the wrong place. I'm more judgmental, more legalistic, more kind of looking at everybody else and deciding who is and isn't out based on my criteria more than his criteria of the gospel. It's my criteria of their works, and that's all part of the problem of sometimes when we're apathetic in that sense. Right? That can be the challenge. But there's another kind of apathy that's equally destructive, and that's the cultural kind, where we're apathetic because we're just gotten too plugged into the culture around us. You see that in the very next chapter, chapter 3, with the Laodicean church. He says to them, I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. He says, I wish that you were either one or the other, which by the way, hot is good here and cold is good. Some people go, hot's good, cold's bad. That's not his point. Hot and cold are both good for different reasons. Laodicea understood this idea of hot water versus cold water. There's a whole cultural background. So he's not trying to say, I wish you were terrible or awesome. He's like, no, I wish you were useful one way or the other. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say that I am rich and I have everything I want and I don't need a thing. 
He says, but don't you realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? In other words, their apathy was, life's good. We're taking trips, we're hanging out, we get good vacations, we're playing a lot. Got an opened up schedule so we can do a lot of things and enjoy all the comforts of life. And therefore, their, their spiritual growth and development and faithfulness was not in the space it should be in. And so he's looking at them going, man, you guys are lukewarm. Now we get this. Lukewarm's no good. Nobody goes to CC's, right, and says, nah, I don't want an iced coffee. I don't want a hot coffee. You got anything that's been sitting around for two hours on the table someplace? Right? Nobody does that. That's awful. That coffee sucks, man. You want iced or you want hot? And, and that's all that Jesus is getting at here. It's iced or hot, but man, when you get into this lukewarm space, that's a tough apathy. So what's the solution for both? Both religious or cultural? Well, in Revelation 2, it says, turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. In Revelation 3, it says, be diligent and turn from your indifference. He says, if you hear my voice, open the door. I want to come in. I want to hang out with you. In other words, if you look at those two sections right there, the solution is painfully simple. Not easy, but painfully simple. It's number four in your notes. Digging out of apathy requires action. That's the painful part. In other words, you cannot good intend your way out of apathy, right? You can't think your way out of apathy. I've never done that, right? In fact, the way we get out of apathy is exactly the same way as we get out of, uh, you know, if we're overweight or if we're unhealthy or whatever else, nobody just kind of like, I can sit myself on the couch my way into health. Right? I can watch my way into health with the TV. It doesn't work that way. Right? We have to get up, we have to act, we have to move, we have to have the right diet, right exercise, right rest. That's how it happens. And in the same way, that's how we deal with apathy. So I'm going to start like shoving things at you really fast. Things that you go, man, I could at least do that, or I could do that, or I could do that. You could do all of these if you want. You can do one of these if you want. These are just ways that you can begin to practically do the action of digging out of apathy. One option is this. Buy a Bible and smash it. Anybody do Smash Bible before around here? Got a few. You're like, what's Smash Bible? We have a picture of a Bible that's been smashed here. Someplace in there might be a slide. Got one back there for me, Michael? There it is. A little tough to see. A smashed Bible is one where you're using highlighters and you're using pens and you're just going through the Bible. And here's my thing. If you decide you're going to do Smash Bible, for example... Uh, my challenge is start with the New Testament or do like Psalms and Proverbs. If you're in apathy mode and you do Leviticus, it's going to be rough, right? So, so, so don't go there, but go like Psalms, Proverbs, somewhere in the New Testament, that kind of thing. And here's what it means to smash a Bible. This next slide, it's about putting a Bible through its paces, right? And this stuff is going to be in your notes and so you could get it there as well. But it's like, hey man, when you see a promise to embrace in the Bible, you, you mark that in yellow. Or you see an attitude to avoid, put it in orange. Commandments to obey, green. You get the idea. Here's what I love about Smash Bible when we developed it. It causes us to ask questions of the Bible when we read it, right? So often we're like, I just want to read a chapter, check my box, move along. But Smash Bible makes you go, well, is that a promise to claim or is it an action to avoid or what is that exactly? And it makes you just slow down and take note. And we find that when people do this, they kind of bond with their Bible a little bit more. It becomes like heirloom to them. 
because it becomes kind of a color-coded journal of how it was impacting you as you were going through it. And I know in my own life, when I've had dry spells and I've used this tool, it's been incredibly helpful to just kind of get me on, on track and kind of put things through the paces and it puts me through the paces. And I think part of this is because what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us what to do is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Sometimes it just breaks loose the apathy cycle. Here's a different one. Sign up for a thing and do it. Around here we say everybody sweeps, right? Another thing we say is take the Bible seriously. That's where you put it through the paces. Here everybody sweeps. David writes, he says, who may worship you in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Right? Who can really connect with God? He says, those who keep their promises even when it hurts. In other words, those who engage, those who say, I'm going to do a thing and they do it. That's a way to break it loose. And so maybe it's signing up for the Monday night uh, stuff they're going to be doing here really soon. You know, I don't even know if I need that, but I'm going to sign up because I want to at least do something and, and make it stick. Or it's signing up for kids ministry or youth or our greeting team or our set up and tear down team or any number of things where you're like, I'm going to start giving because I haven't been, whatever it is, but you go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for a thing, I'm going to do it because it's an action that breaks us loose. Here's another one. Find running partners and feed off of them. Around here we say life is best lived with others. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So as individuals, we're running, right? We're not just in a marathon. We're in like this triathlon of life, right? We're gonna face a lot of things, so we wanna run well. But here's the thing I've learned about running well. We run better in packs than we do as individuals. We run better together, right? I run faster when I run with better runners than I run by myself. Nowadays, I only run when chased, so let's be clear. But in a spiritual sense, right? In a spiritual sense, when you run with others who are also pushing, man, it helps you push as well. In fact, Pastor Scott's favorite passage probably in all of the Bible kind of drives this home in Hebrews 10. It was part of our reading today. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Motivate one another to acts of loving good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that we see the day of his return drawing near. When we are together with one another, man, we can feed off of that energy and push one another on to deeper spiritual development. Here's another. Decide on renewed habits and keep them. Just renewed habits. Got a list of things. Prayer, Bible, learning, church. Join a study, a regroup. Maybe you just need rest and meditation, but intentional. Christian-leaning connections. So fine, go to happy hour, but when you do, talk about Jesus stuff. Share your faith with other people. Like, just whatever your thing is, just pick a habit. And say, all right, for the next 30 days, I'm gonna pray for five minutes. For the next 30 days, I'm going to try to read my Bible every day, or I'm going to try to do Smash Bible every day for 30 days. I'm going to try to get through Ephesians. doesn't matter whatever the habit is. Just kind of find this habit, find this thing, and begin to do it. Maybe in that context, another thing is set personal goals and hit them. Right? Goals are good. Pick a goal that's hittable. Don't be like, read the entire Bible in 30 days. 
don't, right? But if your thing is, I want to read Proverbs in 31 days, well, that's doable. That's a chapter a day. But just hold yourself accountable to those kinds of things, right? I mean, Paul was all about this. He said, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. That's just setting a goal and hitting it, right? It's a beautiful thing. Another thing, realize dangers and avoid them. And not just sin dangers, that's true. But also just realize the danger of, hey, when you stretch yourself too thin, when you get your schedule too busy, that can have a negative impact on your spiritual development and growth. It can risk the apathy. So you say, I don't want to do that. I want to avoid that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptation in your life is no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can handle. When you are tempted, he will always give you a way out so that you can endure it. Uh, The great thing about this is like, man, I've given you what you need. Just be self-aware enough to not step in the things that derail you. Here's another. Tell God you want to sense him. If you go, it's dry. I I don't feel his presence. Well, tell him you want that. That's what the psalmist did. It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? He's like, God, do me a favor. Turn and answer me. Restore the sparkle to my eye or I will die. What I love about this is he's like, man, I'm not feeling it. So I need to feel it. So show up and do this in me. Right, just have that your thing. And that can be super honest. Like, God, man, I don't know why I'm in this space and why you feel distant and maybe you moved, maybe I moved. We always say, well, God didn't move, we moved. Well, I don't always know how this works. So we're just honest. I don't know who moved, but I want to be close again. That's what I seek. And then last, in all these actions, believe God will use them. Whatever you're using, you have to have the sense of, God, I know you're going to come through. If you're just like, this isn't going to work, but I'll try it, may not work. But if you're like, no, I believe you're going to do it, and I'm using this, believe he's going to show up. It says, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It doesn't say those who seek him perfectly or religiously, but sincerely. If you're seeking God in sincere ways, God wants to connect with you. Right now, I want to encourage everybody just to bow their heads and close their eyes. And, and as you do so, I, I, I just want to give an encouragement. Again, I, I know that there's some in this room, and you're like, man, I'm not apathetic. I'm feeling great right now. Awesome. Please write that book so the others in the room can read it. I love that. I'll read it. But maybe some of us are like, man, I'm in that apathetic space, and this is your reset day where you go, God, I, I just want to, I want to be close to you again. I want to do the things that make for a healthy soul. This is your moment to just go to God and say, God, help me with that. And maybe there's others in this room or watching online. And, and your thing is, man, I'm in the curious phase of that wheel. I, I, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I want to be. I want to know what that's all about. For you, that's also a prayer, but it's a prayer of God. Forgive me for the fact that I've been doing my own thing, going my own way. Right? I've got sin in my life. I miss marks. I cross lines. But I want to walk with you. I want to be renewed by you. Jesus, you went to the cross for all of that. You rose to give me life. And I want that life to be in you. I I, I want to live a life where I'm in that cycle of growth now. You make that your prayer and your way. He hears that. And we want to know about that. After 
I'm done here. You'll see a number on the screen you can text to or there's a tile in our app that you can tap and let us know, man, I made that my prayer today. I wanted to follow Jesus. We want to know about that. But Jesus, in all of this, we come before you and we ask for your strength and grace, your wisdom. We ask for you to bring fresh wind into the sails of our life if we are slow, sluggish, or struggling. And we pray for just a a renewed vigor and joy in you. We thank you that you are the God of all hope. And so we place our hope in you now. We thank you, Jesus, in your good and perfect name. Amen. Well, this morning is Communion Sunday, which is just always perfect when it comes to a Sunday like this, closing out a series, talking about apathy, talking about how we kind of reconnect with God. What a great way to reconnect by just remembering what Jesus has done for us. And so right now, we're going to have some of our people pass out the elements to you. You can hold those, uh, and then we're going to sing a song together, and then we'll come back together, and we'll take that together. But as you're grabbing the elements, just remember all that he's done for you and he wants you to connect with him he doesn't want us to have a dry spiritual life but one that's healthy and thriving and filled with grace and love